Welcome in to Locked On Nets. On today's episode, we talk about the big news regarding Spencer Dinwiddie's return and also, unfortunately, talk about the clunker that was the Nets' loss to the Wizards coming up on Locked On Nets. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Nets. I am your host, Josh Bass. I am a lifelong fan of the Brooklyn Nets. I guess I can't say lifelong because I became a fan when I was five. And joining me to provide you your daily or at least four or five times a week updates on the Brooklyn Nets and the hard-hitting analysis and coverage that you all deserve, my man, Marcus Barahal. Marcus, how you doing? I'm good, Josh. I'm just curious. Do you remember the moment when you were five when you said... I'm a Nets fan now, or what was it? Was it like a general feeling? Yeah, I think it was a general feeling. I mean, I was watching, my dad would have it on TV, and I guess I I think I was already a baseball fan before that. It's funny now because I'm like such a, I'm so out on baseball. I love basketball so much more. And then I think I was just watching the TV, and I guess I was like, okay, we're Nets fans. And we're this in. is how it's going to be. Wherever Barry goes, you follow. Yeah, and I commit. I don't, I, I don't waver back and forth i'm not uh one of these guys that's gonna follow a player to a different team i'm lo- i'm brooklyn till i die or till they move to a different place then i go there oh you'd go there if the nets move yeah well i went from jersey to brooklyn sure but that's kind of like a, a local move like yeah if, if I they mean, hypothetically if they like I, this was not going to happen but if they became the sonics would you become a sonics fan Ooh, <sighs> seattle <laughs> maybe maybe i don't know I feel like the Sonics, if they if they started like a whole new thing, if they went to like Louisville, I would mm. I would be out probably. But Seattle might be the one place that it would would entice me. Good callers depends. Yeah, I mean if they brought D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie and hopefully Kevin Durant back to back to the Sonics, imagine that. Um, then yeah, definitely. Sure. If the team's bad, then maybe I I kind of be a martyr and use it as an excuse and say no, I'm not going to be a fan of any NBA team unless it's in Brooklyn. Yeah, I like that. That's. That's a good, uh, good stones from you. Good onions, mm-hmm. I'll say. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome. I, I pride myself on that. Um, but Marcus, we'll talk a little bit about this game to the Wizards last night. It sucked. Um, let's not mince words. The Nets got off to a very fast 10-0 start. Uh, I was actually running late from work, so I put on the game when they were up 10 nothing, and then immediately it went sour. Uh, it. Mm-hmm, their offense got super stagnant. Sadoransky started getting in a rhythm. Uh, Bradley Beal was killing them. Thomas Bryant, I think, had four and ones in the first half alone. He, it was just um, complete malaise from the Nets. Really, I thought Jared Allen had a couple nice minutes at the start on offense, finishing inside, but then couldn't get much going. D'Angelo Russell was really the only net to do something with 28 points and seven assists on uh, an efficient night for him. Shabazz Napier got going a little bit in the second half, but it was pretty much garbage time. Uh, going into the fourth quarter, the Nets were down by 22, and it just wasn't worth watching. Besides, uh, if you're related to Tajer McCall, and you got to see him get his nice um, first bucket in the NBA, a nice sweep, a swooping layup from uh, dribbled in from the three-point line. Yeah, I was going to say, I had like literally never heard of him before this, but uh, shouts to him. I was at work today, and I was talking to one of my coworkers, Ali Melendez, a possible future podcast guest who... Uh, does the in-arena hosting for the Long Island Nets, and she was a big, big uh, Taj McCall guy. So, shouts to him. Did she, to her. did she have a scouting report on his game? 
not really just more like he seems like a nice guy i don't know how much she's mm-hmm. like because she does the, the in between the like the timeouts and stuff so she's yeah more, she's the alley love of Long exactly Island. she is the okay the backup to alley love in brooklyn also yep yeah that's no it's good uh maybe yeah maybe we should get alley on the podcast yeah taj mccall uh does he even go by taj or should he just call him by his i don't think so I, I called him that just now and i as i said i had not heard of him until yesterday <laughs> So probably not. I just liked that it sounded like Taj Mahal, and it's like a reasonable mm. facsimile of his name, I guess. Yeah, that that's his nickname. Yeah, uh, yeah no, he averages uh, 10 points a game in the G League. Seems like more uh, of an energy guy. Four rebounds, 2.4 assists. I did, I did like skills. his—I liked what he gave in those like couple minutes. Like Obviously, like you said, it was garbage yeah, time, but, but I mean— I thought he played pretty well in the eight minutes he was out there. The Nets did make like a little run. Uh, in the fourth quarter and I kept wanting them to get it close enough but then it felt like once Scott Brooks put uh, Beal and Ariza back into the game he was mm-hmm. kind of like all right like I've had enough of this and then they kind of sealed it and then it was done but yeah still I like the the energy from the backups it was like him Dudley was out there uh, I think Kuruks might have been too and Napier so I liked that those guys were like who have kind of fallen out of the rotation entirely or who have like been playing less minutes than they used to i like that they showed fight and at least like brought the nets back into it a little bit yeah i mean this is you have to think about it this is probably going to be uh those guys last chances really to get into the rotation because we're going to hit the home stretch here um what are the there's like 18 19 games left in the season uh 19 excuse me and the nets are really going to be gearing up for the playoffs kind of getting things in check figuring out their rotation and obviously we'll talk about this coming up but the spencer dimwitty news Obviously, he's going to slot in and immediately play 25 minutes a game uh, and be one of the Nets' lead guys, 25 minutes at least. So um, playing time is going to be hard to come by for some of these bench guys. Uh, and it was good to see them get some minutes and at least get a get a run in. And Taj McCall, just one, Tajer McCall, excuse me, uh, <clears throat> just one last thing on him. He almost had like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson thing to me where his handle is so bad that it works, where it's like so herky-jerky that NBA guys aren't just used to, aren't used to seeing anyone with that bad of a handle so it's, it kind of mesmerizes them as he goes to the basket yeah it's almost like they just kind of get out of your way because they think you're gonna fall over you're like stumbling and then because of that he's like able to throw up a shot uh yeah i liked i liked his hairstyle also i thought it was good mm-hmm. good good hair on on uh Tajer mccall um marcus what did you think of lavert because for me this is pro- regardless that he's didn't score on his bobblehead night and that sucks but also i hope biggie scores uh at his bobblehead night fingers crossed it's that the, way, yeah it's notorious big bobblehead night mm. uh, tonight if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out that would be crazy if he did if he, he just came back from the dead and scored fingers crossed yeah well listen it's uh we we did th- thought lavert was going to go off on his bobblehead day so that's true. And I mean, I didn't think Levert was going to play at all this year after his injury, mm-hmm. and I don't think Biggie's going to play either. But you know, if Levert came back, who knows? Well, they scored sorry. the same Go amount on. of points. I, I, inter- I interrupted you. Sorry. Yeah, um, you did. Not nice. So, yeah, Levert played probably in regardless of him not scoring any points. He was completely out of control, like throwing wild passes, making really careless fouls. This is probably the worst game I've seen him play all season probably going back to even his first two years like up there with some of that those worst games um he played 20 minutes i was ready i think i tweeted this from the locked on nets account uh follow us please and said he should just sit for the whole night because he was just lost in the sauce yeah uh i think you've talked about it more than i have but he's been like very inconsistent 
since he came back. We've seen flashes like we saw uh, in that Spurs win in the second quarter when he kind of like erupted for a stretch. He looked good in his first game against the Bulls, but for the most part, he struggled, and uh, the Wizards game was like another example of that. And I think with Dinwiddie coming back, with Crab playing pretty well, honestly, since he's come back from injury, with Napier still looking decent at times, the Nets have like a mm-hmm. ton of guards right now, so they don't necessarily need a ton from Levert, so they're kind of getting away with it, like floating around 500. But if he's able to turn it around, that could be big. And if not, I think once the playoffs come, uh, we'll talk about this later, I guess, but the rotations could shake out where he's not playing a ton, depending on game flow and matchups and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's still going to play because I think he is a big part of this team, but his shot is still, like, it's broken regardless. I just don't think it has any consistency to it, and I've said that dating back to his rookie year. Um, It shows where he should be, with his touch, he should be a much better free-throw shooter and three-point shooter than he is. And he's still 71, 72% from the line this year, he's 73%, but he's under 30% on threes, which is horrendous for me because it's not like he's taking super difficult attempts. A lot of them, these shots are wide open, and he missed uh, a layup last night. He had a nice take from the from the corner, uh, drove in. There was someone there, but they weren't really contesting, and they didn't jump up to um, try to block his shot. They were just kind of standing out of position almost, and he just missed an easy layup. So he needs to, to get more reps. These next 19 games are going to be huge for him especially because the Nets need him to get back in that rhythm and be their most consistent two-way player if they're going to have a chance of beating Boston or Toronto if they match up with them. Or Boston or, or Philly, sorry. But even Indiana, they're no pushover. I mean, uh, they just won again today. Bogdan Bogdanovich, or Boyan Bogdanovich, excuse me, scored 37 points. Uh, Miles Turner, super tough inside. They have a bunch of guys. Sabonis, TJ Leaf gave them 18 tonight. So the Nets, even if they get Indiana, and that's a much easier matchup, it's not going to be any pushover. So Levert really needs to be firing on all cylinders for this Nets team to to be able to knock off um, a higher seed in that first round. Definitely. I think you hit the nail on the head that I think his defense is what's going to be most important just because uh, D'Lo is obviously not the best defender against uh, quicker guards, and we're not sure yet what we're going to get from Dinwiddie now that he's coming back. I mean, he could look great, but he could struggle like Levert has. So I think defensively is where they need him to step up, and if he can hit some shots, it's just a bonus. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break and then talk a little bit more about what a hypothetical playoff rotation could look like, and about the return of Spencer Dinwiddie coming up. Back here on Locked on Nets. Uh, Of course, if you're listening to us, you can always get our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. Uh, And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play the podcast Locked on Nets or any of our uh, brethren on the Locked on Podcast Network. Uh, Marcus, some exciting news here today. Uh, well, a cu- about a week ago, about a week, week ago, ago, shout out to Bobby Shmurda. Uh, Spencer or Kenny Atkinson said that Spencer Dinwiddie, he would be hopeful if he played on the road trip starting March 13th. But then we got an unexpected present yesterday um, when Kenny said Spencer was very close to returning. Then he was assigned to the G League to practice today, and then. For the injury report on the Friday game against Charlotte, it's only Jean and Musa listed, which means Spencer Dinwiddie is all ready to go, and he will be emerging back to the rotation uh, a little under five weeks after he got his thumb surgery. So even for the, the Nets, which are a very cautious team when it comes to injuries, Dinwiddie still hit right in the sweet spot of his timetable. 
Yeah, and I feel like it was either last pod or maybe the pod before where we were saying that because of that news that Kenny was like, oh, he might not be back until that road trip. We were like, oh, maybe he's going to be out for a while. Mm-hmm. It was well, he teased grim. us. What the hell was that? He did tease us, but, you know, he, he delivered the goods in the end. And uh, our savior, one of the favorite players of this podcast, Spencer Dinwiddie, is coming back. Uh, the Nets have been, I believe, 6-8 and eight since he went down. So they've been, like, okay, but obviously they could, they've missed him. He's 17-5 and five a game, so it's going to be huge. And uh, like you mentioned, he practiced with the G League team. I think Jared Dudley also practiced there, even though he's not injured. He just, like, loves basketball, mm-hmm. I guess. So he was there, too. Uh, definitely excited to see Spencer back. And I'm hopeful to see what he does against Charlotte, just because I think him versus Kemba uh, is going to be a really interesting matchup. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. And he dropped a 40-piece against Charlotte earlier this year. Uh, and according to Michael Scotto uh, of The Athletic, um, and who's not at the athletic these days? I feel like it's everyone besides us, Marcus. Um, we, I have an announcement. I'll tell you later. Okay, <laughs> have an announcement. Um, but yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie's able to play on back-to-backs, so he'll be able to play against Charlotte and then Miami on Saturday. And not for nothing, but the Nets definitely need to win at least one of these two games um, on this back-to-back because. Uh, they had that disappointing loss to Washington. You could say it was made up for it by that great win against uh, San Antonio right before it. But uh, Charlotte, they're playing at home. Miami sucks right now, even though they did beat Golden State. Um, they're kind of collapsing. And if the Nets could just take one of these two games, obviously we all know how difficult the Nets' schedule is pretty much from um, from March 13th on. The rest of the way, they're playing a ton of tough teams. A lot of those... Um, are a part of this the seven game road trip that the Nets have, which is really going to test them. So when you're playing these easier Eastern Conference opponents, you have to get at least one win. And having Spencer Dinwiddie back, if D'Angelo Russell, who's been super consistent recently, if he does have an off night, you have Dinwiddie there and at least a better shot of having one of those two guys being able to carry you against a mediocre team. Yeah, this is the perfect time because, like you said, they really need to take advantage of this uh, schedule stretch coming up, but. Yeah, it's weird what you mentioned about the Spurs game and this game because it was kind of the same thing uh, a week or so ago, maybe a little more, when it was uh, that they beat the Nuggets and then lost to the Bulls. Like they keep getting up for big games and like taking down these tough Western Conference teams, and they kind of falter against a team that they should beat, whether it's Chicago or Washington, which is a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I don't know. Maybe they saw the five thirty eight article that we talked about last time giving them an 89% chance to make the playoffs, and it went to their head a little bit. So maybe they're only getting up for big games now. I don't know, but hopefully this latest loss humbled them a little bit, and they come out ready to go against Charlotte. Because if they lose that back-to-back, I mean, they'd drop below 500 if they lost both. And then, like we mentioned, that schedule gets really tough. So it's no guarantee that they make the playoffs. Yeah. Was there any game that you could see them them winning if they had Spencer Dinwiddie during that... uh during his most recent stretch of being out. I feel like against Toronto, uh, you know, that was such a high-scoring affair, 127-125, but I feel like just having his extra punch could have been able to to get the Nets over the edge. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a game that close, anything could have made a difference. I think that one and probably the Bulls game where they just seemed lifeless, like just having another guy who could have maybe mm-hmm. been on that night to kind of carry the momentum and bring them back. The Bulls obviously aren't a very good team, so I think if the Nets had put up some kind of fight late. Like, Levert honestly looked pretty good, and he brought them in in a little bit. I think if Dinwiddie had been there, too, that could have uh, stopped Chicago and kind of brought them back in that game. 
Yeah, and also the Cleveland game probably or definitely wouldn't have gone in triple overtime. Yes. Because D'Lo was sucked in the first like three quarters of that game and then turned it on late, but having another guy to be able to provide that scoring buffer, especially with Karras being inconsistent, I think we'll, we'll add a, a nice dimension for the Nets. Um, Marcus, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the playoff rotation. Obviously, let's not get too presumptuous, but it does look like the Nets will make the playoffs. And Kenny does like to play a lot of guys, but... Obviously, I think he knows that when the playoffs come, you have more rest in between, and you really have to shorten your rotation to the best guys. So I'd be surprised if the Nets play more than eight-man eight consistently in the playoffs. And who do you think those eight guys will be for them? It's an interesting question. I think it'll probably depend on the matchup and like game-to-game, but obviously D'Angelo Russell, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, uh, I think Karis LeVert, even though he struggled, will be in there, mm-hmm. uh, Dinwiddie as well. I think Ed Davis has earned some minutes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, not obviously like a ton, but he he should get some time. Damari Carroll, uh, Alan Crabb, yeah. that's eight. So at that point, that doesn't mention Rody Kuruks. That doesn't mention Napier. That doesn't mention Dudley or Rondé. Uh, and I don't even mention Travion Graham. Yeah. So that's already eight guys. It's pretty clustered. And a lot of the names that I did mention in that eight were guards, which is what I said earlier, where it's like, the Nets have a lot of depth, but it's kind of all in the backcourt right now. They're still weak at power forward, unless you want to play Carroll there, heavy minutes, which I guess is possible, but I don't know if you can count on that in the playoffs necessarily for extended amount of time. Uh, so hopefully Rody steps up or Travion steps up uh, to be another guy. Yeah, Damari is right now the only consistent guy they can play at the four for any extended period of time. If, I love Rody, and I think he has a ton of potential long term, but he can't—he's not consistent, and you can't rely on him now. Graham, I think, is going to be a part of that rotation just because Kenny likes his toughness and defense. Napier definitely, in my opinion, has no shot at really getting consistent minutes just because he's such a liability on defense with his lack of size and they don't need his ability to create shots when you have Spencer, D'Lo, and hopefully Karras is able to turn it around by then. I think the interesting one for me is, is going to be Crab because as you mentioned before, Marcus, he has been really good since he came back from his uh, his bruised fat pad. It looks like the bruise Never is... want to bruise that. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing that you don't want to bruise. But he's shooting the ball really well, and even though he got off to such a bad start this year, uh, when you look at his stats, he's shooting over 39% from three on six attempts a game. Um, just looking alone at his stats in in February, he shot 48% from the field, 41% from three. So I would like to see Crab get some minutes if he can keep up this hot shooting, but I'm just not sure because the Nets, as you mentioned, all of their swingmen, unfortunately, just don't have the size to play the four consistently that... If they did go to a, a closing lineup, let's say, of uh, D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, and Jarrett Allen, uh, do you just think they'd get manhandled by some of these more physical teams? Yeah, probably, especially if they get matched up against the Pacers, just because they can play Sabonis and Miles Turner together sometimes, and so it becomes who's going to guard both of those guys. Mm-hmm. Like Allen Even Bogey is... has a good post-up game also. Right, yeah. Uh, and if you were playing the Sixers, I mean, they've got a ton of size with Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler and Embiid out there at the same time a lot of the time. So it's definitely a tricky matchup. Crab has shot well, like we said. I think he's over 40% from three since he came back. And if that keeps up, it's hard to keep him out of the rotation. But at the same time, someone's got to give up minutes so that we can get like some defense at the four, at least, if not any offense. But yeah, I mean... I think Travion 
has played pretty well on defense, which we've talked mm-hmm. about. So he's probably that guy. Um, you just hope that he can hit some shots in the playoffs. Yeah, because no one's going to guard him in the playoffs. They'll, they'll just play off him, and if he beats them, then then so be it. Um, and I don't know if the Nets love their chances on that. But yeah, maybe I'm thinking about it. Maybe Kenny will go to a, a nine-man rotation, but uh, I think they definitely need a bit more depth at the power forward spot, as we said um, right before and after the trade deadline. Um, that's going to do it for this segment on Locked on Nets. Coming up, we'll talk a little bit more about Joe Harris and his big interview as he's making the media rounds that he did with Zach Lowe and Sarah Kustak. Marcus, Joe Harris did his second podcast uh, in as many weeks, or maybe it was within three weeks. He went on the Howard Beck show. Uh, I thought did a good job there. And then really kind of uh, did the whole media tour post-winning the three-point contest, went on Zach Lowe's podcast, The Low Post, and uh, not complaining about it, but not really sure why Sarah Kustak was there either. I thought she was entertaining. It felt like uh a... No, she was good, but I'm just, I was confused by no, it. No, that's... Yeah, for sure. It felt like a, a little cluttered, definitely. But I think she's just a fan of Joe and a fan of Zach, and so I think it was like, yeah, sure, why not? It's mm-hmm. like when we... She's like an... In, she's intermediary. Yeah, it's like when we have Gavin on as a third person occasionally when we did that crossover. Mm-hmm. It was a little cluttered, but, you know, he's a fan of both of us, so why not? Right. I, no, I think of her more of like as like the rich climate when Simmons and KD are doing the podcast. Future, future was, next GM, rich climate. Yeah, but no, that was good. A couple interesting takeaways. I love that Joe Harris is able to grow out his beard just because his girlfriend, um, they're long distance and she's in London. So then she doesn't, she can't like nag him to shave it every day. She's apparently very chill. She didn't mind going to Charlotte mm, instead yeah. of Miami. Uh, I know you're a big Charlotte guy, Josh. So can you speak to that at all? I'm, well, I'm a big Charlotte guy, but I'm a bigger Miami guy. So I would be pissed if I was Joe Harris's girlfriend. But she seems she seems like a great woman. Uh, and luckily for him, he was able to to bring it home by getting that victory over the Curry brothers in their hometown. And Marcus, did you hear that he gave the three-point trophy to um, the UNC Charlotte basketball team? And I guess the head coach there was one of his assistants when he was at UVA. And he was practicing there. Um, just getting the the rhythm of shooting the ball off the rack in the days leading up to it. But still, what is he? Just keep the trophy, Joe. What are you doing, man? Yeah, I, I wonder if it's almost like overconfidence because he did say that he's like going to come back and defend it, assuming he's like asked back. But mm-hmm. is he just like thinking, oh, I'll win another one of these next year and I'll give it to someone else. I'll just keep winning them and giving them out to all my friends. Almost like when you get a bunch of soaps to give as gifts on Christmas or something. Mm. I don't know if that's a relevant metaphor for any listeners, but Hanukkah I've, I've for done me. that before. Sure, sure, for Hanukkah. I'm benchmarking the 2024 three-point trophy with that Joe Harris wins his his um, his six in a row. That's when we'll get one. Yeah, I, we have to be on that list at some point, I would think. It was mm-hmm. a little weird, though, that he gave it away. I felt like that was like his big coming-out party to the national media. Everyone, like, think, I think Shaq even, like, after the three-point contest was like, I'm going to be honest, I had never heard of who Joe Harris was. <laughs> Kenny was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, this is your job. And Shaq was like, I, I don't watch all the teams. I don't know. But he he knows who he is now. And uh, for Joe Harris to give that away, I don't know. Maybe he's just not like a material guy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, Kenny can't really talk because him and Chuck do March Madness ever, every year. And they know at most like two players. They know Zion. And R.J. Barrett. Yeah, that's R.J. It. Barrett, yeah. They're not going to know a single other player in, in college basketball. But yeah, no, Joe Harris definitely upped his street cred. And his notoriety after that, um, what would he have? Is there any chance that he wouldn't get um, 
aspect to the three-point shootout next year just based on performance. Like, let's say he was shooting 31% on threes, just, like, completely staking up the joint. I feel like as defending champion, you still get asked back. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, Devin Booker came back this year, but he's obviously, he still played well. Um, yeah, I, I wonder who the last guy who, like, wanted to come back but didn't after winning the previous year is. I, I don't even know if it's happened. Mm-hmm. Did Quentin Richardson do it again after he won? Or, like, Vashawn Leonard, one of those guys? I love Quentin like, Richardson. <laughs> yeah. Q Rich, former former Nick and son great. Him and, uh, I think it was Keith Van Horn, were the two reasons why I always wore my socks really high whenever I played. Yeah, and they've affected you to this day. It's true. So I, lo- I love, love a good pair of socks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but, no, I, I really like Joe Harris. He seems like just one of the nicest most down-to-earth guys um, and just like a, a regular cool dude. I love the story um, when Zach Lowe and him were supposed to get coffee and Zach was too busy with draft day and potential trades that were going on. So Zach tried to cancel and said, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it over to Brooklyn. And then Joe Harris was saying, oh, like, where do you live? I'll just come, I'll come over to a coffee shop by Long Island City. I mean, who, I wouldn't do that for any of my friends. And he's doing it for a reporter that he barely knows. Yeah, it's insane. I feel like, also, he like doesn't have a Twitter. He's a very interesting guy, I feel like, in this day and age. There's, there's not many Joe Harris's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's living by himself because his girlfriend's in London. He probably wants some company. Yeah, I also uh, I thought it was good when he was talking about uh, like the relationship of everyone on the Nets and how uh, Zach was saying that I think it was Carol and Dudley were like texting Mark Bartlestein just like after every shot that Joe Harris made. I, I just like hearing about that, and I think... Uh, Zach made the point that like every team kind of talks about their culture and all that stuff, but I think it is real with the Nets, and I think that Kenny and all those guys have really brought everyone together, and I think it's good to see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely on that. Um, Joe Harris, one of the best guys in the NBA, and one of the best podcasters on the Lockdown Podcast Network is my boy Marcus. Marcus, wow. Uh, I think we had a stellar episode today, but the fans will let us know or not fans, listeners, you might just hate listen, like I do for the Bill Simmons podcast, as you can clearly tell. Um, so please rate and review and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your uh, podcast, whatever feed you use. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnNets. You can follow myself at JMBass underscore if you're so inclined. Marcus is at Marcus Barahal. And we will speak to you soon, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about some Nets wins over some Eastern Conference opponents. Bye.